Well, this morning, we want to continue on our discussion of Peter. Have you enjoyed a progressionary study on a book of the Bible? Uh, And I hope that it's coming together with some unity and some continuity with it. But we need to recognize that Peter is writing a letter to a number of churches that are scattered all across Asia Minor because of persecution and that they have been um, severely put under bondage by the government and by the Judaizers, by those that would come against the belief in that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and they are really paying the price. And Peter is writing to, to encourage them, to build them up, and he's even teaching them some things that are difficult in the midst of what they're going through. Today he talks about submission, and that's what we want to talk about today. Because we live in a world that's very similar to the world that Peter was talking to in his writing here. This letter is very applicable for us because we live in a very anti-Christ, an anti-church establishment. Now, it's interesting that um, people still want to be called Christians. People will still declare themselves a Christian, whether they know what that means or not. It's still a popular thing to do. What's becoming harder for us to do is to live a life of true Christianity without being labeled a radical or narrow-minded or um, an exclusive person that is truly living a life of submission to Christ because the world says, I'm a Christian, But they don't know what that means. And so when they find somebody that's trying to walk the best they can, the way that Christ would walk, that's foreign to them because it doesn't match up with what they declare or what they think Christianity is. They think Christianity is a name, just that I can call myself because I believe in God. And I might even believe in Jesus. But they really don't know what the mission is of God. They really don't know what the mission is of Christ so that when they call themselves a Christian, they're calling themselves a Christian really without a mission. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to, I want to focus this morning on, on what it means to submit and to whom are we to submit and to what does it look like and then whom are we not to submit to. Our text is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just now ask you to have your way in this conversation today. Lord, uh, we just pray that your word would speak out and our hearts would be willing to hear truly what it means to submit and be into submission. Lord, teach us what you want us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the context of this passage, in the context of um, what was going on in the Jewish world, this is a big subject. For Peter to say, I want you to submit to the governing authorities when those governing authorities are bringing them persecution seems contrary to maybe really what he should be saying. Maybe they would be thinking, we need to, you need to be telling us how to take up arms and to defend ourselves against this 
this cruel, this cruel persecution that we're going through. But Peter's saying, no, we need to learn to submit because it is what God would have us to do. And Paul stresses the same thing in Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been, have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God and what, and what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free men, fear of, of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is a really great passage. Verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That is such a contrary thought in our world of blame today. We have whole industries of psychologists that are designed to tell you your problem is not your fault, your problem is your mom and dad's fault because the way they brought you up. Or somebody else's fault because the way they abused you. Or the church's fault because how they let you down. No, maybe the fault is because we've rebelled against authority that God instituted. And therefore, what this passage says, and for those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. When are we going to recognize that we need to submit so that we don't bring judgment on ourselves? We can't always blame our problems on somebody else. Not to say that they haven't given us problems, and I'm not excusing bad behavior by parents or those in authority, but we cannot blame them for something that maybe the root of the problem is really with me, not them. God establishes all authority on this earth, good and bad authority. Now, I'm not going to go down that path right now, but I am going to ask the question, why is God concerned about man's government? Why? If we didn't have government, because of the sin that came into the life and the curse of the sin that came into the life of Adam and Eve, if we did not have a God-established government, we would live in chaos and there would be no protection of anybody. So God, therefore, says, I will institute government over you to exercise authority over you to protect you from yourself because sin would be rampant and chaos would be everywhere if we didn't have government. So in God's provision, he says, all right, I will establish human governments and authorities that you have to submit to, and I'm going to authorize them to punish and reward those who do wrong and right. Therefore, God is concerned. And both Peter and Paul make sweeping statements about all the authorities that exist by God's word and by God's hand and that we are to come underneath them, Christian or non-Christian, we are to come under the authority of our government. 
all besides for one situation. If they tell you to do something immoral or unethical, or if they tell you not to worship God, you are permitted to worship God against them if need be. So we're not saying that government can control your life when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about civil laws and civil liberties. Submission is very important here. And I don't think really many of us have a problem in this building about that. I don't think that we are lawbreakers, and I don't think that we have a major issue obeying the laws of the land. But there is a bigger aspect and a much deeper aspect of submission that we must discuss here because this is, this is, this is much deeper than simply obeying the laws of the land and, 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 and abiding under human authorities. So to get right to the point, what I'm talking about is that the first and most important entity we are to submit to is God. If I can't get that right, then I'm going to struggle with every other area of submission. If I can't first understand that I must be fully submitted to God through the salvation of my life through Jesus Christ and then live for him without question, without compromise, if I can't get that part right, then I'm not even in the same ballpark of peace when it comes to submitting to the world or to the world's governments. Submission begins and ends all on one basic concept, and that is to whom are we submitting? We have a choice in this matter, by the way. We have a choice. We can submit either to God or to Satan. There's good and evil, and a lot of caveats in between, but there is good or evil, and I will either submit to God or I will submit to Satan. Does that make sense? I can, if I submit to myself, I'm really falling under the, the realm of submitting to Satan, just so you know that, <laughs> because I'm lined up, my, my human nature is lined up on Satan's side of the equation, not on God's side. It all depends where I submit my heart determines my eternity. Why it's so important here that we learn to submit our lives to Christ because this is where life has meaning and significance because it's bringing the temporary into the eternal. Because I'm thinking of my life more now than just what's going to happen over the next 80 to 100 years of my life because that may seem like an eternity when we're going through it. It may seem like a long time as I'm going through it, but in reality, we all know how short that is. And then comes real eternity. (laughs) And then comes the real deal. So I need to be lining up my life now with the right source so that I will have the right eternity result. So where we spend eternity, where I will spend eternity, where you will spend eternity, is all dependent upon today whom we are submitting to. I think we all know that. Are we submitting to Christ or to Satan? It is an answer of either or, not both, at different times in my life. No, it's an either or. I am either submitting to one or the other. So let's talk about submission for a minute. Let's get on. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's define some words. What does it mean to submit? What does it really mean to submit? Let's divide the word into two words. Sub, commit. Sub, commit. Sub means to come under the authority or to surrender yourself under an authority. I'm subbing myself. I'm a submarine. I'm going under the water. I'm subbing. I'm going under. Then to commit 
means to give a promise, devotion, or to give an allegiance. So when I put that word together, subcommit or submit means to come under the authority of a higher source and be committed and devoted to support it without compromise. I'm coming under and I'm committing to it. I'm coming under and I'm committing to it. So I'm not going to get under it to subvert it. I'm not going to get under it to tip it over. I'm going to get under it to commit to it, to live it out. The Greek word in Scripture is hypotasso, and it means exactly what we've just been describing, to come under, be subject to, to be obedient to, to, control, to, to surrender authority. Now, I know how it, easy it is to use words like submit and to not really understand what that word means, but use it in a way that I, and I twist it to give me what I want out of it or what I'm comfortable with. Let me give you an example. I, I, can't, I, I often pray in my personal prayer time that I find myself praying and saying, Lord, I commit my life to you, Jesus. I submit to you. And I tell you, more times than not, when as soon as I say the words commit or submit, as soon as I start to go down that path, I hear a little voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, you'll do that until he asks you to do something you don't want to do. It's easy to commit to God or to submit yourself to God when it's, he's not asking me to do something that is out of my comfort zone. And so I find myself questioning when I pray that way, am I really saying that? Do I really mean that I really submit to God? I'm really, am I really committing my life to him when I say, Lord, I submit to your will? I submit to whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Do I really mean that? Sounds good, doesn't it? What does it really mean then to submit our lives to Christ over the devil and to our own flesh? Romans chapter 8, Paul describes the concept of submitting in his letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter of Romans beginning at verse 5. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Paul makes it very clear in this passage that it's not possible to submit, as we have already defined submission, to both the desires of the flesh and to the desires of the Spirit. The flesh desires results in death, and the Spirit desires result in peace and life. The mind of the man or the, that's, that's, that's being governed or controlled by either the desires of the flesh or the desires of the Spirit will take him in one of two directions, but not both. I can't be governed by two different controlling elements. Amen? It's one or the other. And there's a battle going on there most of the time. The eternal outcome of a person is determined today by which desire they submit to. Am I submitting to the desires of the flesh or am I submitting to the desires of the Spirit? Let's just take a minute today. Close your eyes and ask yourself the question, who am I submitting to? Do I find myself struggling in a battle quite often with this? Yeah. Who's really governing my life? 
Is it Christ? Or is it me, which is a derivative of the devil? It's important that we come to grips with that because as we move now into asking for God's blessings in our life and winning spiritual battles, we need to know who are we submitting to as to whether or not we're going to be authorized to win a battle or not. Amen? Or that we're going to have in a position to win the battle. You can open your eyes now because if your still eyes are closed, I think you're sleeping. <laughs> James the Apostle and half-brother of Jesus uses the word, unless, of course, you're really still struggling with that battle. If you're still struggling, you can close your eyes and keep praying. Just don't do like this. If you're doing that, then I know you are sleeping. <laughs> James the Apostle and the half-brother of Jesus uses the word submit when he's talking about having the power of Jesus come to our aid when we are fighting a spiritual battle. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. <laughs> and it's so easy for us to read this verse and skip over the part of submission and get right to the point of resist the devil and he will flee from you. And here's the reality of that. That if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to skip the first part of submission and then start the resisting part, I'm only setting myself up for great frustration because in my own flesh, I might have the ability to withstand the temptation a while. I might be able to withstand the temptation of whatever that pull is. If, I don't care what you name it, whatever your vice is, you might have the ability in your own determination, in your own self-will to say no. But sooner or later, it's going to come back and it's going to get you because we can't win a spiritual battle in our flesh. No matter how strong we are, we must realize that the only way we're going to get the devil to resist us and flee from us is when Jesus says, you go. The devil's not going to listen to me very long because if Jesus isn't the one speaking, I have no authority over the devil. Do you know that? Can we agree with that? It has to be Jesus speaking to the devil. And the only way Jesus is going to speak to the devil for me is when I submit to Jesus first. So what does it mean to submit to God and how do we do it? The key to winning the battle against the devil, which is a spiritual battle, is not the strength of our flesh. It is only when we submit our hearts and lives to a complete submission to God. So how do we do it? Well, let me just give you some steps, some ideas. It's a, it's a multi-step process, by the way. First of all, first of all, it requires recognizing that we need God's help in the process. We must recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. We must recognize I have a problem. <laughs> first, you can't solve a problem if you don't recognize you have a problem. So you must recognize I have a problem. I need help. And I recognize that it's not just in myself to defeat it. I need help. Number one, I must recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. And then we must pray to God that he would reveal any area in our life of unrepented sin in our life in order that I can then begin the submission process. I can't go into this with a known sin or a willingness in myself to accept my sin that I know is wrong 
and still expect God to come to my aid when I'm not willing, first of all, to repent of it and then take the necessary actions of repenting and getting that sin out in the open. The devil would have you cover sins over and over and never recognize them, first of all, as a sin so that he then can keep you caught up in that and bound up in that. And as long as he's doing that, he will win the battles every time. So we must recognize we have sin. Ask the Lord, God, if there's something in my life that I don't even see, if I'm so, am I deceived that much that I don't see it? If I am, Lord, would you open up my eyes, show me the areas that I'm deceived in, and then give me the strength and the power to bring that out in the open so that I can then repent of it. Now, that might require going to a Christian brother or a Christian sister, somebody that you trust and confide in and get an accountability partner. I'm not saying you have to do it in front of the church. I'm not saying you have to do it publicly. In fact, I would advise you not to. But I would advise you to make sure that it gets out in the open somehow, some way to somebody that you trust that will help you. And as we do this, then we need to surrender our own preconceived ideas on what we need to do to overcome the sin. Because you may have some ideas in your own mind, well, how do I overcome this sin? Well, I do it this way, and I do it this way. Well, that may be just ways of the flesh. Maybe God's got a totally different deliverance plan for you. So open your mind to what God would have for you, and then walk in it. And then be willing to accept what God has and how he's going to help you deliver that sin, not your own preconceived idea and how you're going to do it on your own. All right? This is where we need to get into God's Word, and we need to solicit godly input. This is where you need a good pastor, a good friend, a good Bible teacher. You need to trust God's Word. You need to go in for yourself, and here's the, here's the beauty of God's Word. God's Word is so alive and so real that when you read it with a heart to hear, He will bring revelation knowledge, and all of a sudden the words change from black and white on a piece of paper to real flesh and blood and it really comes into your life and you can really grasp it and see it as wow that's what that means that's how i can apply that in my life but you have to do it with the sense of god i need something i'm just taking off my preconceived ideas and i'm just laying them down and i'm going to read your word and i'm going to trust you holy spirit to bring me a revelation word amen that's really good Number three, be diligent then and obedient to take action in what God reveals to, to do that you're, in the repentance that you're seeking. In other words, now, now that you've got the revelation knowledge or now that you have the information, be diligent and obedient to take action. It's like the song we sang about God gives us the breath in our lungs. It is a cooperative effort. God gives us the ability to do it, but we still have to do it. We still have to walk in it. We still have to take the action part as we're seeking repentance so that we're getting ourselves in an area of submission. Number four, this is an important one. Be humble. Be humble in your attitude toward God and other people as you're changing your life patterns. Be humble. There is no room for pride in the life of a Christian person. And that doesn't mean that you um, have a false sense of humility because a false sense of humility is really pride, right? So um, it really means getting humble now. It really means laying yourself bare here and don't think of yourself as any less than you are or any more than you are. Don't go down to this false sense of humility side because that's like, a, that's like, it's like you want to make yourself so 
humble that you say something to people only so you're hoping they're going to say, oh, you're not that bad. No, don't even go there because that's false humility and really that's pride because you're wanting somebody to tell you, oh, no, you're really okay. No, no, don't do that. that that's, that's counterproductive and it's really pride. It's pride camouflaged. So let's just recognize that we need to go in here humbly. And you may ask, well, why is humble so important as you're making these life changes? Why is humility so very important? Well, the answer is very simple, yet profound. Pride is the one thing that will prevent you from submitting and will immediately stop God from completing the work in your life. Pride is the one thing that will stop you from submitting and will negate God's ability to work in your life because it's that powerful. Pride is the thing that caused Satan to have to leave heaven. It's that powerful. So if we're going to submit, if we're going to go back to James and, 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 and submit to God so, and resist the devil, go back a couple verses in James chapter 4. It's really interesting as you do Bible studies, read the context of what's around the verses, all right? Go back to James chapter 4 beginning at verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 4. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. I love this. He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes. He's just not silent on pride he opposes pride you're not going to win if god is against you just so you know that god opposes the proud so we need to be humble so what is friendship with the world like friendship in the world is a rejection of jesus christ and what jesus did to defeat the spirit of the world which is satan okay that's a rejection to befriend the world means that we are pridefully saying that we reject Christ and his sacrifice and we choose to live life our own way, enjoying the pleasures of life and still thinking that we're going to be pleasing to God. That's what it means to be a friend of the world, that we're rejecting the holiness of God's way. We're going to receive it our way instead and we're going to still expect to be a victorious person or a victorious Christian. This is very serious because this act of pride this act of pride makes us an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Let's read God's word as to what it says. An enemy of God has no relationship with God other than to be destroyed. That's what enemies do, okay? So how do we do this? James 4, 7, submit then yourselves to God. Submit to God, and when you submit, then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Spiritual victory is accomplished only after a humble person comes before the Lord and completely submits their life to God, and then God is able to defeat the enemy on their behalf. That's the only way we get victory, is through our submission. Now, with that said, we now know why we must first submit to God, and then he will give us the authorities, and he'll give us the spiritual victories that we can then submit to other authorities on this earth because that is just the first one. 
<laughs> what, what are some other authorities we need to submit into? Well, we already talked about the government, so we're not going to talk about that anymore. But there's one other major authority that I think we must recognize today. And we must talk about it and understand it so we can properly submit to this. Because this is one area that requires some explanation. Because as soon as I say it, you're going to know exactly why people don't submit to it. Anybody want to guess what it is? The church. The church. We are to submit to the church. Now, before you stop listening, because you're probably thinking that this is where the pastor is going to build his own little churchdom, and you've all got to come under, submit under Mike, Pastor Mike, and we're going to submit under him, and we're going to have a happy little life because we're going to submit under the pastor, under the church. So let me just tell you, that's not where I'm going. Okay? So you can keep listening now. <laughs> keep, your eye, keep your ears back on because that's not where I'm going. But we need to understand what the church, what the definition of the church is. And we need to understand that the church, by definition, is not the idea of a man. But it's a direct command from Jesus. The church is a direct command from Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 8 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So we get to where we're going now. Jesus, the, the Father's talking here. And I tell you that you, Peter, and uh, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Notice, it's not the disciples' church. It's not Peter's church. It is my church, Jesus speaking. It's Jesus' church. The establishment of the church is entirely the idea of Jesus. It's not the disciples'. And thus, it would be good of us, it would be wise of us if we would accept Jesus' ideas as good ideas. <laughs> right? I just want to line up on the right side on this one. So let's define the church. Okay? Now, what's the church? Someone might say. Well, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. 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 Somebody else say it. And it means church, congregation, assembly. Here it is. A group of people gathered together. In the New Testament, a church is never a building or a meeting place. So this, the church, we're not talking about this building. We call it a church, but the church is really people. It's you and I. We make up the church. So with that said, what does it mean then to look, what does it look like then to be in submission to the church? Well, let's talk, let's, let's talk about, about the word submission again. Submission is similar to submit. It's the same base word. Submission, sub, to come under. Mission, we come under the mission. What's the mission? The mission is the purpose or the calling, the assigned task or undertaking of whatever you're submitting to. So to be in submission means to come under the purpose. Come under the purpose, calling, or assigned task of the person or entity in whom you're submitting to. All right, so that's what it means to submit. We're submission, in submission is we're submitting, we're coming under the mission of a person 
or entity that we're submitting to and we're going to further their mission, not undermine it, not being, not subvert it, but we're going to come under and support that mission that we're coming under. It requires much discipline on the part of the person being submitting. And it also means that the person has to clearly understand the mission they're coming under. It's hard to support a mission you don't understand. So what does it mean to be in submission to the church? Well, first of all, you need to understand the mission of the church. If you're going to come under submission to something, you must understand what you're submitting to. So what is the mission of the church? Well, there is a number of answers to this question, as you probably can imagine. Let's talk about a few of them. One mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all kinds of people. All right, that's the great commission that Jesus gave in the, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, that we are to go into the world and, and make converts and disciples of all the world. That's one of the purposes of the church. Number two, we are to serve as a community of worship and fellowship. We are to serve in the community and be a community of worshiping people that fellowship with people to manifest the power of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 18 Beginning at verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That is part of the church. Two or more gathering together are part of the church. This part is where we need to assimilate and we need to come together. Number three, another, another, a third purpose of the church is to mature believers and prepare them to perform works of ministry, to prepare each other for works of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ is what? The body of Christ is the church. We're the church. And therefore, Christ himself gave us tools to build us up as, so we can then fulfill his mission of his church. And so we're now talking about the mission. This gathering of people should be to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, the body of believers, so that the church could be an atmosphere of spiritual edification and a building up process of people when you come in you might come in tired and weary and when you go out hopefully somebody in the body has edified you and built you up and charges you up a little bit so you can go back out into your world to build the church in the world amen fourth according to god's plan everyone in the church is called to serve in some aspect of ministry everyone is called to serve in the church not just the pastor not just the teachers not just the worship leaders no everyone you have a part in the body of christ you have a part in his church paul describes this as a body romans chapter 12 verses 4 through 6 for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function so in christ we though many form one body, being the church, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You know, it's so amazing to think that you belong to me and I belong to you in the body of Christ. That I am not my own man and you are not your own person either. That we are accountable to each other. 
If we're going to be a true follower of Christ, if we're truly going to be submission coming under the mission of the church, then my mission is to support your mission. And your mission is to support my mission because we're all submitting to the same mission. Amen. The point of describing the mission of the church is to help us define and understand the mission that we are to come under. It's, it's only when we are in submission to the church are we truly pleasing to God our Father. You know, it's obvious that if I'm going to please God, I must submit to his ideas. I'm not, I'm not going to be pleasing to him if I'm off trying to create my own ideas. And he's given us clearly the idea of what it is to be part of the body of Christ. So it's only wise of us to submit to that. So the question now comes, the time to ask some personal questions. All right, we've had some definitions. We've had quite a bit of teaching here. Now let's ask some questions to ourselves. To whom am I submitting? To whom? Are you submitting to those in authority over you? Are you submitting to the civil authorities and the spiritual authorities over you? Because if you do so, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, which is right part of our text, our study in 1 Peter, Peter says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. How do you do good? By submitting to those under authority. So as you are submitting to people under authority, you actually are doing God's will. God's will doesn't have to be so difficult that we can't understand it. God's will is simply doing good to people, simply living a life of peace and harmony and submission. All right, number two, are you living in submission to the church? Are you living in submission to the church? This is probably one of the most important questions you can ask yourself, and yet probably one of the most avoided questions that people ever ask of themselves. <laughs> because it's easier to submit to my own personal desires and come under the things that I want to do in my own mission than it is to be submissive to God's desires and come under his mission. Is that true? It's so much easier for me to figure out what I want to do and do that than to try to figure out how to come under God's church and submit to that. We must if you want to know, if you want to be obedient, you must know that. There's a couple of very important distinct, distinct, distinctions about being submissive. First of all, to live in submission to the church is not living in submission to this building. We've got to say that again. All right? It's not being submissive to this building, but it is being submissive to the people in this building. I need to be submissive to you, and you need to be submissive to me, and we need to do this thing together. It's also important that you understand that the idea of submitting to the church is not the pastor's idea. It's not, you're not submitting to me as a person, but you are submitting to the office of pastor. It's just like the office of pastor is serving the people. Right? We're not setting up a caste system here that one serves the other at the expense of the other, but we serve each other because we love each other. And I think the reason that many people don't see that it's important to be submissive to the church is because they think that the church is man-made. It's a man's idea. It's a man-made institution that God really isn't too concerned about. God really doesn't care what goes on in the church because it's the pastor's church or somebody's church across the street or across the way. No, and, and, and thus when they think that way, then that, that gives them the, the, the ability to pick and choose how involved they want to be because it's really not God's idea anyways. 
That's a false statement. But I think that's many times the way people think of church. They think of coming together like this is, is really voluntary and it's not really important and it doesn't really um, impact your Christianity. But if Jesus said that he's going to build his church, do you not want to be part of the church he's building? The only way you're going to be part of the church he's building is to be part of the church he's building. You can't be a part of the church he's building when you don't come to the church. When you don't gather together as part of the body, you are not being a part of the body that he's building. Yeah, we can worship the Lord in a tree stand and we can worship the Lord on a boat and we can worship the Lord wherever we're at. We can do that. And clearly you should do that. But you're not building up the body of the church when you're doing that. That should be extra credit. But we have to come together. Don't let this world system and don't let the enemy try to to tell us we don't need to come together as a church because we must come together as a church and we must be submitting ourselves to the church and we must be under submission to the church. We must understand the mission of the church and we must be under submission to it and we must be accountable to it because you will be one day held accountable to it come judgment day. Anything that God says is a good idea, got to know he's going to test you on it. So as we conclude here, there's probably a number of things that I could list out here as to what I think it would look like for you to be a part of this church. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not making any lists here. Because if I made a list to say this is what you do to be a part of the church, all of a sudden now it clearly becomes my agenda and it clearly becomes about me. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to bend down and I'm going to write in the sand. And then let you guys decide what that means. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? To think that we're going to say what we need to do and then we're not going to tell you how to do it specifically, but you need to be responsible to figure this out. Now, let me give you an example. What I'm trying to do in the pastoring of this church and the teaching in this church Janine, I really appreciate sitting in your Sunday school class because I tell you, I feel so much accountable. Because I know how easy it is to um, be a judgmental person and to preach judgment. I've been guilty of it in the past. And I don't want to preach judgment, but I want to preach truth. So really what I'm, all I'm trying to do here is to prepare you for the final exam that's coming. I can remember going through my education, and you probably can too, having instructors. I always appreciated an instructor that would say, I'm teaching you right now, guys, and by the way, this is going to be on a test. I'm teaching you the stuff that's coming up. You know, I hated it when you'd get into a class and what was on the test, she, never, she or he never talked about in class. That was unfair, right? So I want to tell you right now that, that I'm teaching you stuff right now that's going to be on your final exam. These are some of the questions you're going to be asked. When you stand before God, he's going to ask you some questions. And I, don't, and I want to be responsible to the best that I can by knowing God's word, by discerning what's going to be on the test. You know, we could spend all time, a lot of time talking about self-help, about financial stewardship, about how to look good, about how to feel good about yourself so we can come against negative thinking in this world. Uh, we can talk about a lot of good things, and there are good things but you know, in all honesty, those aren't on the test. 
You're, you're not going to be evaluated on how, what you thought of yourself. You're not going to be value, evaluated on how big your house was because you were a good financial steward. You're not going to be evaluated on that kind of stuff. What you're going to be evaluated on is, what did you do with Jesus? Yeah. How did you accept his teachings and how did you prove it by loving people? How submissive were you, were you to my church? See, these are the questions that Jesus is going to ask us. And those are the things that I want to spend our time on studying upon that, that you don't look at me. I, I, I don't want to be a stumbling block in either way. But I clearly don't want you to look on that day and say, you know what, I, said, I went to this church and this guy named Mike was the pastor. And you know, he never talked about that. He never told me that I was going to be accountable for that. I don't want to be that person. I want to tell you the best that I can, as hard as it sounds sometimes, because I'm concerned about you that you pass an exam. I don't want anybody getting F's here. I want us all to pass. So the, the person that will pick the church or pick the concept or pick the teaching of the tickling ears and the itching ears, it might really be easy to go to. It may be real popular and fun, but you know, when he comes to test day, he's not going to be very well prepared. So I, I want to come into teaching and being a part of a church that believes the fact that we really do want to know what Jesus expects of us. Amen? Because Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23 are really, really important verses. And I want to make sure that none of us get to him, get to heaven on that day where everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do, who, who do the will of my Father are in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Yeah. I want to be the one that knows the answers. And I want you to as well. So who are we submitting to? Can you submit to the church? Can you submit to God? Can you submit to our authorities? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, there are, are many things that are vying for our attention. There are many things that, in this world that are good things that, that try to take our time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand true submission and help us not to fear it. Help us not to be afraid of submitting to each other because it might put me in an awkward spot or it might require something of me that I'm not really willing to give. Help me not to be afraid of submission. Rather, help me to be afraid of what unsubmissiveness is. Correct my thinking. Give me a good mindset. Help me to understand truly what it means to submit to my brother, to my sister, to submit to my wife, to my husband, that we would submit to each other as we're submitting to the body of Christ. First of all, let me submit to you, Jesus. Let me commit my life to you fully and purposely without the little man in the background telling me, no, you can't, because yes, I can, and I am submitting unto you, and I'm coming unto you, Father, with your grace that would give me enough. You give me more grace that I can conquer it through the power of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your encouragement today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.